Hi, my name is Isabella, and today's tip of the week is about employment testing and some guidelines to help avoid discrimination. You want to be consistent. You want to make sure that you subject all similarly situated applicants to the same type of test. For example, if physical agility is essential to perform the job, you should test both male and female applicants applying for the position. Also consider various ways of assessing physical agility. Focus on the task that needs to be done rather than how it is done, such as, does the position require moving 50 pounds instead of lifting 50 pounds? Employees with disabilities may be able to perform the essential functions of the job with an accommodation, such as using a cart, a dolly, or a mobility aid. So welcome. I'd like to welcome um, Mark Moore to our show. He is the owner of Lighthouse Certified Bookkeepers. He is out of Pennsylvania, and I'm really excited to have him here on the show because this is rare. We don't often get to talk with accountants or financial analysts, and we're going to be bringing more of those people in. But Mark, welcome to the show. We're really glad you're here. Thank you for having me. Very good. So we always kick off the show where our guests tell five words that describe who they are to our listening audience. Our listening audience, just so you know, it's a lot of people in the business world. So they'll always uh, find this very amusing. So what are your five words? And don't worry, I took some notes and I can prompt you. Okay. I'd say they're analytical, determined, creative. Don't forget funny. Mm-hmm. and um, communicative. Yeah. So why analytical? I mean, you're a bookkeeper, so uh, you're really an accountant. So yes. <laughs> so I I love accounting. I love the double entry. I love that you can check your work. I am very black and white. And I do like that accounting when it comes to entries can be very black and white, despite how there's so much flexibility in coding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. And when we say coding, we're talking about giving a line item, a code number that identifies what category it is. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to, just so nobody thinks we're talking about programming. Um, I think that is very, very true because people don't realize this. The numbers don't lie, but you can also spin the numbers in ways that tell a story. It, you can. So when you look at, say, a software subscription, some people might have a code that says digital subscriptions. But if you're looking at something like SEMrush and you're doing email marketing, it doesn't have to go to subscriptions. You can apply that to marketing. And now Mm. we're looking at what is our total marketing spend? And it's easier to tell what your actual marketing spend is when you're looking at software and how you use it when you're coding. Mm, that's a really good example. My product is a SaaS product. And I love that you said a digital subscription. You were tying it in. You didn't even, I think, realize it. But our product is a SaaS digital membership subscription. So this is going to be super. I'm looking forward to the whole conversation. Okay, so determined, determined. Why that word? Um, I wanted to be successful. And um since an early age, I wanted to be, I knew I wanted to be in business. Uh, as a kid, I wanted to be a, initially an architect, a civil engineer, because my grandfather is a civil engineer and he does a little architecture. 
Um, but I knew I wanted to be in the business world. Um, and with that said, I'm here. Um, I've worked a long time helping other people build their own businesses until I decided that I was going to finally branch out and build mine because um, a, another lesson that it's hard to learn along the way is that it's never the right time. You just have to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You don't want to live a life with regrets, right? Correct. Yeah, that's for sure. So creative. Why would you pick that word? Because yeah. people don't think of those people that work with numbers as creative. <laughs> That's just so fun to me. You probably shouldn't put the word creative together with numbers. That, yeah. that might be a bit of an issue. But um, creative. In, in top, I've worked for a security company doing accounting at one point, And the billing software wasn't really sufficient for what we needed. And so I had to build a database in Microsoft Access for all of these things to get us to where we needed to be with all of these various rules and memos and departments um, and the various ways we build. And I mean, yeah, well, build out the service. Right. And so you have to become creative sometimes. Sometimes you have to find the right software. And while Microsoft Access isn't necessarily easy um, to build a database in. Uh, I have taken a, an access course, which kind of gave me that experience to do that. But there, there is software out there and you have to get a little more creative. You can't simply say that this is the box that I have to work with them. Mm -hmm. I'm saving funny for last. Communicative. Why that Communic one? It is one of those soft skills that's overlooked. And I think when you're interviewing someone, you should look at how they communicate. Look at if they're forthcoming about communicating. If I'm doing an interview, I don't necessarily wait for you to ask questions, wait for you to dig deeper into the information. I'm going to volunteer that information. Mm, that's good. That's really good. And funny. Okay. I've not, <laughs> usually I would say funny is a, an acquired skill, but for, I, well, my dad is um, an engineer mm -hmm. and engineers are traditionally very uh, reserved people. And they will also have what is considered a very dry sense of humor, meaning, you know, nobody else is going to think it's funny. So I feel like accountants probably fall into that same type of sense of humor. What is funny me? Do you do stand up? I'm sure not sure. I don't do stand up. I would, you know what? See, the analytical way that I look at doing stand up is I would go take a class to learn how to do that. Oh. People don't just step on a stage and become comedians. There's tr there's actual training for that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I say funny, I am I consider myself a people person. I'm sociable. I like to be around others. Um, I do a lot of work from my office downtown, but I have one or two clients that just have an amazing atmosphere. I will pop in and do work at an open desk there. Uh, I get along very well with their CEO and their, um, uh, I think his title is controller. Um, and I just, I enjoy people. I enjoy laughing. Mm. 
Those are really good uh, ways to look at humor as being, and funny as being, it's about people. And I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that. So that's unique. That is, that's very true. Because you have to have other people to be able to laugh. Well, I guess you can laugh by yourself, but it's not as much fun. It's not as much fun. No, it's not. So how did you get started? What did your career path look like? I don't, you can start from either, um, you know, high school or college, but like most people start at college. Where'd you go to school? How'd you end up to having your own business? What's that career path been like? So I went to a couple schools. Okay. Um, I initially started out at Penn State pursuing wow. civil engineering because my grandfather was a civil engineer. And, you know, back in the day, parents, grandparents passed their professions down to their children. Yeah. But um, my dad ended up getting sick and he didn't work for about two and a half years after that. And so when I came back from my first year at Penn State, I now had to pay for my education on my own. Mm. Um, and so I couldn't afford a school that had civil engineering. So, and don't laugh, but I took a personality test. Oh, and I, I think they're, no, I'm not going to laugh. Okay. Legit. And accounting was one of the options and I selected it and went with it. Mm. So from there, I took a few classes at the community college. I ended up um, getting my associate's degree first, which I'm very proud of. I know a lot of people take their associate's degree off their resume after mm -hmm. earning a bachelor's degree, but I have an associate's degree in accounting from Delaware County Community College. I did the transfer agreement to Wilmington University, which used to be Wilmington College, for mm -hmm. a bachelor's degree in accounting and finance. And then I stayed on to get my master's degree in accounting from WellMU as well. Okay, not many people do that. It's unusual to go for the master's and even a PhD in like accounting. It's rare to see that. So that says quite a bit. So, you know, and my master's is, um, it is an MS. It's not an MBA. So when you're looking at MBA, you're taking a lot of business classes and that concentration right. is accounting. I took the MS, which is going to be- It's specialized. Significantly, yes. And it's, it's harder. Significant <laughs> accounting training. And it wasn't simply because I wanted this MS or MBA on the end of my name. I wanted to take a class that was, I wanted to take a major with classes that were genuinely going to teach me something. Mm. Yeah, that is very, very significant. Um, are you a CPA also? I am not. Um, one of my regrets in life gets busy. The work is great. Now you can and always go back and get it, but I think in, so, MS, in accounting is pretty much the same. I'm not sure, but. Uh, some companies see the MS MBA as equivalent to a CPA, especially with experience. I've been doing accounting for um, almost 20 years now. It's about 16 years. Uh, I am back at studying for accounting, beginning with regulation. Uh, after I finish the regulation section, that's everything that you need to take the EA exams, which is an enrolled agent, which allows me to actually complete and sign taxes. Mm -hmm. Oh, with the IRS, you're going to do their enrolled agent program there? Yes. Yeah, I know that they have that. I worked with a tax consultant at one point also when I mm -hmm. first decided, oh, let me go meander into uh, you know, having a consulting company. 
I learned how to represent, um, he taught me how to represent his clients against the IRS. And that's where I learned about enrolled agents uh-huh. in the IRS also. So I, I don't know if our listeners will know what that is. You want to explain that a little bit more? So it's not just CPAs that can do taxes. Enrolled agents can do them as well. Um, you're required to have a certain amount of experience and you're required to take exams. Uh, for the enrolled agent exams, there are two. Um, if you're going to be able to do taxes as a CPA, there are four four-hour exams. And so you can go to a CPA or you can go to an enrolled agent to get your taxes completed. Mm, that's all really good stuff because a lot of people are afraid of numbers. Is that what's you've actually noticed, you know, having all of these years of experience, do people, um, what's the general attitude when you work with your clients? I won't say that they're afraid of numbers. I would actually be in more defense of my clients. We get into business to do the things that we love to do. Mm -hmm. And when the things that we love to do come up, it is okay to hire others to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, who wants to sit and look at their balance sheet and their profit and loss. You know, I work with some people who um, I, I do project work as well. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm reviewing books for clients and I'm seeing something simple, someone has taken out a loan, they're applying that loan payment to an expense. And that's not where that should be going. You should be booking the balance of that loan to a liability account. When you make the payments, you have to look at the remittance and apply the portion that goes directly to the principal to the liability account to reduce it. And then the interest piece goes to an interest expense. We're tracking the balance of a loan that we took out, and then we're tracking the interest as an expense. Wow. That can sound like, you know, just like wave your Harry uh, Potter wand over somebody's head so that they can obtain that knowledge. And then other people are going to go, oh man, I totally get what you're saying. You know, either way. Um, all is good with that, though. It's nice to know that there's somebody that is well-versed with being able to understand those various line items. So when you were in school, um, did you find any clubs or anything like that that were helping you with that type of um, career journey? Did you choose the the clubs that are more business-focused, or did you choose anything that was more... Um, you know, fun, fun stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So I did not actually take clubs in college. Hmm. Uh, I worked through college to put myself through college. I actually worked two jobs while going through college. So respect any, thank you. Many people have put themselves through college. Mm -hmm. Um, I think every single one of them deserves that respect. Um, I say I took classes and I, when I, talk to people about college and and younger people. Um, And when we go, when I go back to my high school, because I was a high school wrestler. So when I go back to my high school and I talk to the wrestling team about next steps, you can pick a major that you love. You Mm -hmm. can pick classes that you love. I found joy in some classes. I took diving. So I wasn't very good at it. Lesson learned, I'm not an Olympian. But (laughs) I enjoyed those diving classes in the college's pool. Uh, I took ballroom dance at eight in the morning. So I had to wake up and climb up that hill eight in the morning at uh, Penn State Hazleton um, just to get to that class. 
So you can find joy. I love volleyball. I love badminton. I took those. You know, when you're in college, you don't take just major specific courses. College is designed to make you a full person, to give you a plethora of experience. And you can use that as an opportunity to get new experience. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yep. Um, fun fact, I also worked a full-time job going to school. So that's why I said respect. It's going, yeah, I can relate. I don't think mm-hmm. I did two jobs, but nonetheless, there were times, you know, you cross over and you go, well, I guess I'm going to have to pick this up. So what made you want to start your own business? Because what, you know, I see where you were in school and where you are now, but how did you get in that journey? Like, are there any places that you want to say that really uh, taught you quite a bit, you know, whether it was large companies or small companies, not necessarily names, but maybe the size of the entities? Well, you know, real my parents, when I was growing up, my parents told me that I could do anything. I could be anything. And it may sound like a Disney movie, but (laughs) these were the teachings that I received from my parents and the the heavy involvement in my parents' life. So I never had any limitations on who I could be. So as a kid, when you're looking at, you know, celebrities and they're wealthy, when you're looking at businessmen and they're wealthy, and it's like, I want to do those things. I want to travel to those places. I want to have that type of experience in my life. And so that's kind of where it came from. I always knew I wanted to start a business. I got caught up in the I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I need to have this amount of money saved up. I need to have that amount of money saved up. Then as you go on year by year, so, well, I took out another loan. I want to make this, I want to pay this loan off before I stop and I start this business. And I ended up getting to a point where I said, I'm never going to reach, you know, that level of independence if I continue like this. And I honestly just gave notice to my job and started a business. Awesome. So one of those things is usually like, should a person have X amount of dollars saved up like three times their salary or something? What piece of advice would you give to somebody else that's wanting to start a business? You know, should they have some savings? They should absolutely have savings. I would actually say that is the first thing they need. Uh, You need to determine how much you need in savings. But also you don't have to leave your job and then go start a business, then go register a business. You can start that business, research it. And I tell everyone, build a business plan. Number one is build a business plan. You wanna know who you're marketing to. You wanna know how you're marketing. You wanna know what your expenses look like. That will help you with how much you need to budget because now you have your household expenses and you have your business expenses. And then I would tell them, start that business while you're working. Get some clients while you're working. Um, If you're concerned about ongoing income because you are doing projects, focus on projects that can get you references. Business isn't typically gained by simply putting out a proposal. I mean, these days people are doing business with those they know. They're asking friends, who does your bookkeeping? Who does your taxes? Who did the construction in your home? Um, People are uh, gaining business through relationships. And that's probably the biggest thing you could teach a new entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of this book, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad? 
I have, yes. Yeah, it was uh, one of the books that I read when I was in school and it was teaching me about how to think like an entrepreneur or think like an employee, you know, and either way, there was an advantage to both of them. And it's by Guy Kawasaki. Um, I found it to be a really, really good book. Uh, is there some uh, accounting book that you think that you would recommend to your clients? Entrepreneur has a great business startup book. So Entrepreneur Magazine does a plethora of books. I love business plan books. I love new business books. I think Entrepreneur did a great job. Um, I've looked at and read a lot of them. A lot of them seem to be missing a lot. I can definitely say a lot of them go into accounting, which is something I don't need. And I don't think a lot of people need that. They want to learn how to set up a business. What's the, um, how to register a business? What's the best type of business for their, their situation, their field? Uh, and I think that's a, a great book. Outside of that, it's all nerdy books. I still have financial management books. I have investment books. I have a, a great mergers and acquisitions book. Uh, I can't recall the author at this moment, but um, I, I do still read those go back and refer to them. I agree. I find them to be super helpful. But the thing about a rich dad, poor dad, that was so incredibly good for me is again, it helped me to think differently, um, to see my opportunities. Uh, because usually when you have an employee, they'll sit there and go, oh, well, my boss doesn't understand. And he, you know, can't think, well, put yourself on the side of the boss and see how you're understanding what his problems are, because it's really hard to have 10 employees and you better be having about, you know, anywhere from at least a half a million to a million to have just 10 employees. It doesn't, that sounds like a lot of money, but it's really not. And I don't so, think people realize that. So we're talking about gross income. It really is not a lot. Um, rent, your office space is going to take up a significant amount of that. Payroll, employer-related taxes, employer, the employer portion of health insurance, dental vision, all of that really adds up. Uh, when you look at, say, the bookkeeping field, um, they say that 18% of your gross revenue is going to be what you'll have left in the end. Mm -hmm. And so if you looking at the, um, the expense percentage and the revenue percentage that's typical in these industries. And you'll say, oh, I'll need to make a lot more money if I really want to get uh, where I'd like to be. I think a lot of people are cutting out uh, the office space, not just because of the situation with the pandemic, but because they're realizing that it's an expense they don't necessarily need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the pandemic really brought that awareness to us because we could do business through Zoom calls. We could do quite a bit. I think that they probably ended up having to shift. Well, not, I think, I know they did, to having higher cybersecurity, uh, you know, firewalls in place, things to protect people from working at home and clicking on just anything, which you might do with your personal computer, but you shouldn't do with your business computer, right? So there's mm -hmm. different ways you treat equipment. Um, I want to go back to something because I know we didn't answer. Is there a particular amount 
of money that you would say a person should have saved up to start a business? Of course, it's kind of like a bag of groceries. You know, it depends on what you're shopping for. Okay. <laughs> um, groceries can go bad. So you don't want to buy too much of those. Yeah. Um, but I will say at a minimum, I think the books teach you at a minimum three months. Mm -hmm. I think six months at a minimum. Mm -hmm. um, it's usually in the world of startups it's called what is your uh, runway? You know, how much space, you know, how much do you have before you're going to run out of money? Um, and then what, you know, and you don't have any sales. So, you know, some people might conservatively say, you know, a, a year of a salary just so, or a year of whatever it costs to run your um, business in addition to the salaries and the insurance and the taxes that you have to pay, right? Um, oh, so once again, well, like you said, it's, well, what are you buying? So if yeah. you have employees, yes, you're going to need a year. Mm -hmm. um, in my industry, I didn't need a year. As my only employee, I didn't need a year. No. Um, and then Why is when I- with just you? Yes. And then when hiring an employee, I didn't need a year. The income was there when I hired an employee. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really good advice. So <clears throat> you jump into this pool. Um, everybody needs two people. Uh, well, three. If you're going to set up a business, you should have a, a bookkeeper, accountant, somebody that can handle that for you. B, you should have an attorney to make sure you're doing things legally uh, the proper way. And then fourth is you really need to have somebody that can help you understand the art of sales is what I would say, because marketing is one thing and sales is very, very different. I'll add one thing to that. Depending on what industry you're, you're, you're I'm sorry, depending what industry you're in, I would say you need someone familiar with compliance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Compliance is a good thing to make sure that you're talking about. Like in healthcare, for example, there, you know, there you have more responsibility, education, you're dealing with minors, things of that nature, if it's mm -hmm. K through 12. So compliance would be super, super important. I, if it's a law firm, of course, you know, you can lose your license. If you're yes. anything actually licensed, if you have to have a license for it, then yeah, that has higher compliance is really what I'm seeing now is the trend. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So if you have a license for it, people, it's going to cost you more. All right. So going back over here to your uh, career, and you got started here and you're going to be adding on the ability to do taxes is what you shared earlier. Uh, I know that we met through another platform called Alignable, and that's a marketing outreach uh, platform, you know, for some people, they can look that up. But the um, you were saying that you were expanding your office into Tampa. So not only are you in Pennsylvania, but you also have presence here in Florida. Uh, yeah, beginning with uh, virtual space, what I'm looking to do is attract business, sign um, clients on, and then I will make it a physical location. I'd love to either hire someone to work down there or move down there myself. I love Florida. I know everyone in Florida probably loves Florida. <laughs> yes and no. Some people like, you know, the chillier climate, but you know, for me, I'm, I've lived here a while. I enjoy it quite a bit. I've lived where there's snow. I think it's overrated. So 
You know, I'd have to come back for the snow. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. I know. You want to have the best of both where you have seasons up there in Pennsylvania. And then you also can come down here to Florida when you go, no, I don't feel like snow today. You know, Florida, when I was down there, it had a lot of rain. I think it rained every day for half the day. Mm -hmm. And I love the rain. I think there's a calming effect to the rain, maybe the drop in pressure, but I can, I can truly concentrate that beating of the rain on the roof is just amazing for me. It is very peaceful. I agree with you. So what is a favorite quote that you live by? Uh, favorite quote that I live by, uh, just keep going. Yeah. I that's know when it. you mentioned that to me, I was going, oh, that's Dory. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't aware that that's just Dory. That was Dory, but Dory is a smart girl. Yeah. Um, I recognize she's a fish, but <laughs> she's a smart fish. Mm -hmm. Um, just keep going. And it's what I've used throughout my career when you're overwhelmed just keep going. Mm -hmm. There is an end. If you need to become organized to keep going, let me tackle the smaller items so that I can mark things off my list. Just keep going. And that's how I've gotten so far. That's how I've managed my own clients. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is a really good life lesson though. Just keep going because you know that stuff is going to, um, give you discouragement in, in business, you're going to see things go up and down. Not everything's going to be wonderful and not everything's going to be tragic either. It doesn't go like that, but you know, you have to keep going just like what you're saying. I think that's sound advice. Finding Dory. Yep. Um, the hardest lesson that you ever learned that changed your life. The hardest lesson. It was, it's most likely independence shifting from being a youth to being an adult yeah going away to college having to manage my own time having to manage my own education you know these are things that you're not doing especially in my household my, my parents were there they managed the groceries you know i had to manage my my food card mm -hmm. <laughs> at the cafeteria at the college and managing my sleeping time. I think it was one of the hardest adjustments because you just dive right into it. Mm -hmm. there, there isn't any training for it. Actually, yeah, because you have parents, a mom that comes in probably wakes you up, says, hey, get up, go get ready. You know, we get used to that, um, that level of en engagement, somebody else there being responsible for us. And then if you don't cook for yourself, you don't have to clean up after yourself. You have, you know, and parents that help you with those things. Um, you're right. You're missing some of those key life skills and it can be a culture shock. Uh, it really can be, but you will learn quickly. I will tell you the first time I maxed out a credit card, I said, oh, I will never do that again. Mm -hmm. Um the second time I maxed out a credit card, I said, I will never do that again. Yeah. And I, after the second time, I have never maxed out a credit card yeah. ever. And when I talk to the youth about credit cards and they want to talk about all of, all of the things they're going to buy, what I say to them is every time you swipe your credit card, that is a promise of your future income. 
with interest. And so consider what you're making from your part-time role. What did you just buy? You just bought a $200 bag that you did not need. Mm -hmm. Subtract that $200 plus interest from your next check and what's left. So you really have explaining it like that can help the youth understand that there is a long-term effect to Mm -hmm. spending on credit cards. Mm-hmm. And that it's not, yes, you do have to pay it over time, but you're promising your future income um, to that card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that there's it still has money on it. And so if it's a card that has $500, well, yes, it's you're absolutely right. It's $500, but it comes with a cost. <laughs> you know, you said interest, and I don't think that people think that way. I think that's really a great analogy and how you explain it so that people could see, oh, oh yeah, here's $500. It's on a card, but when you run out of $500, how are you going to either A, pay that back, it's a loan, or how are you going to, um, yeah, how are you going to pay it back? You've got to make it right. And the youth will switch jobs, leave a job. (laughs) And I let them know you're not going to be able to just leave your job. That is right. If you have debts that you have to pay. The last thing you you want. You had two jobs while you were in college. So yes. So they might have to get two jobs. They may have to get two jobs depending on how far in debt they are. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Very true. So what are you most grateful for? I'm grateful for the, the the life I live, the opportunities that I've had. I think everyone started at a different place. And no, I have not started at the time. Very happy with where I'm at. I'm very proud of my achievements. Um, I don't think being grateful and proud are negative things. Mm-hmm. That's very um, um, And then with, with that, I- Being proud. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they, are, they are different. Um, yeah. from being proud. And so I, I give back, give my time as a treasurer to the Bucks County Audubon Society. We're out here saving birds and other wildlife. That's um, cool. Yeah. Our, we had a new bookkeeper come on and she ended up just disappearing and then resigning. So now I drive an hour, 20 minutes up there to pick up the deposits. And yeah, I really, I get involved in that way. Um, and yes, it is an hour, 20 minutes up to Bucks County, but um, I truly believe in their mission. I like what they do. I enjoy the people I'm with. Mm-hmm. I also donate my time to um, Start Small, Think Big, mm-hmm. which is based out of New York. They can help small businesses with a plethora of things, whether it's margin analysis, price analysis. If you need time to, to speak with a CPA, if you need someone to help you clean up your books, teach you how to set up your books, Start Small, Think Big offers quite a few um, services that'll help small businesses. That's a book also. Do they have a book? I don't think they have a book. Mm, I've, I've heard of that as a book name. That's interesting. All right. Uh, who in your life has had the biggest impact? Who in my life? a hard question. Right. You know, we, we don't always just build ourselves. Other people kind of 
come in and we become a hodgepodge of experiences. Um, you know, I'm going to be a tad bit selfish today because that's okay. And I will say, I'll say me. Um, that's an interesting answer. I see. Because, because um, being independent and when I moved out, I moved out. I did not move back in with my parents. You have to learn those lessons of life and you really have to say, well, I'm not going to do that again. And truly not have the strength to truly not do that again. When I, I moved out by the time I ended up starting college back up and you know paying for it on my own. And I had to have the strength to do that. And hopefully people can realize how much of their own strength it takes to get them through some of their life goals and some of the challenges that will come up. Mm -hmm. And I think you raise really a valid point with this because to say it's yourself, yes, I don't think that that's um, selfish at all. I think that you're, you're absolutely right. It takes discipline. It takes, you know, courage. It takes strength because it's easy to go back home. It's easy to do some mm -hmm. of these other things. And there, it does come at a price, but to do the hard thing and figure it out for yourself and go, okay, well, I maxed out that card a second time. I am not doing that. That means mm -hmm. I'm going to go and do this, uh, get this second job, pay off that card, and then be able to live within the, the means that I'm in. That is um, everything. It's strength. It's courage. It's, um, you know, being self-aware. It's so many things. Resilient. I love that. Good yeah. stuff here. Well, thank you. And hopefully we'll see more resilience from the youth coming up. I hope so. We're going to take just a moment to acknowledge our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and we will be right back. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. And we're back to the second half of our show where we talk about the future of work, of jobs and industries in 2030. What is that going to look like? So what do you think accounting will look like in 2030? That's not that far away, Mark, right? I mean, we're here at the end of 2022. So we can basically say it's, you know, eight years. And if we don't count 2030, we'll say it's seven years. So, you know, what, what do you think it's going to look like? How much would be automated, you know, robots, whatever it is, AI, what do you think it's going to be? It's really not that far away. And what some people don't understand is that accounting just doesn't start in the back office. It's the input of orders. Wawa is a great example. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with a Wawa, it is I love a Wawa. wonderful gas station food store. And I know that sounds crazy. <laughs> but they are so good. It is a kitchen and you can get what it, you want. Yes. Um, they have touchscreens. Mm -hmm. You no longer order anything. And actually, Wawa I, was my very first job um, yeah. as a teenager. And we did used to take orders when we're making sandwiches and things. Um, but then they ended up putting in touchscreens. So touchscreens are really the beginning of the accounting process because it's the input that, that drives accounting. And so a lot of um, restaurants are moving in that direction. 
as states continue to raise the minimum wage, some of the restaurants are considering how do we offset that? And unfortunately, it's by replacing people with machines. Now, in regards to accounting, I can see accounting, the basics of it, moving largely to machines, to robots. When you look at software like Plate IQ or Build.com, where we're already putting in um, our invoices, coding them. When we look at the QuickBooks banking feature and we are able to create rules for the invoices based on amount and based on vendor, based on bank description, we see an automation there. And with that said, we can take a full-time, we'll most likely be able to take a full-time job for an accountant and make it part-time. I think where accountants are currently safe is where it really takes human intervention, uh, a thought process, where we really need to provide an answer to the CEO, to the owner, uh, as well as there is a, a aspect where the CEO wants to speak to a person. They want to give a response and understand that the reply is going to be well thought or well implemented and not worrying if the, the computer caught the correct keywords to do what needed to be done or the computer thought about the extras that occur in the background. But if a purchase is made, it shoots up into space and shoots back down and we know that someone's PNL is now updated instantly. And, and that's happening with some companies. Mm -hmm. I know that people can uh, take pictures of whatever their receipts are, automatically upload them directly into whatever that line item account number is. Um, I find it interesting to think that we could make a full-time position go to a part-time one. Mm -hmm. And so it really, as you're explaining some of what those automations are, I'm wondering like how quickly we could see something like that happen. Do you, do you feel like people are practicing that already? So it's slowly happening. Uh, and I can use my own clients as an example. When I'm having a meeting with a prospective client, they will say, well, there really, really isn't much categorizing to do. We have our rules set and it just categorizes everything. Mm -hmm. uh, I review the rules. I review where things are hitting. Everything isn't so black and white. And so mm -hmm. changes will need to be made. But it, I mean, it's happening now. When people are looking to hire me, they're saying, well, you won't have to do this much work because the system's already doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have a favorite uh, accounting platform? I know you probably can't say anything, um, but I don't know if you do or you don't. So I thought I'd just throw it out there that you uh, prefer to work with. I do. And, and I can share that with you. Honestly, I love um, uh, Sage Intact. It is for larger companies. It's not going to be anything a small business is using. But Sage Intact is amazing. Um, I have a lot of experience with NetSuite, which is a larger software as well. It has quite a few bugs, but <laughs> it's the same premise. And I, I like that as well. Um, in terms of small businesses, I will say QuickBooks. Yeah. There are other things out there. I'll let everyone <laughs> know. A lot of people come to me and they say, well, Waves Accounting is free. Mm -hmm. And Waves Accounting is free. And for someone who's 
who has the technology, technological know-how to manage software, it's a great option. It will even let you set up multiple companies for free. Mm -hmm. However, if you want support, you're going to have to pay $150 a month to be able to speak to someone to get assistance. Mm -hmm. There isn't any training outside of the videos they provide. If you want training, you'll also have to step into a support plan. So there is a cost to it. Just when you get to a point where you're having a technical malfunction, whereas with QuickBooks, when you're having that technical malfunction, I find that their team is very efficient. Mm -hmm. What about FreshBooks? Have you heard of that one? I have heard of FreshBooks and I did a demo of it. I didn't like the view. I didn't like what I saw on a screen. And I, I, the beauty of a software goes a long way with making not only you comfortable with using it, but making your eyes comfortable with looking at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. No, I haven't tried FreshBooks in a couple years. They most likely have had an update. But, um, oh, sure. Yeah. But per, per my experience with it, uh, Sage Intact had a better screen. QuickBooks had a better screen. Zero uh, had a better screen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, there was one that my uh, CPA, he likes a lot, is a, it's a Peachtree product. And it's, uh, no, it's Sage product, but it's called yes. Peachtree. And it was for small businesses also. So Peachtree uh, was QuickBooks competition. Peachtree oh, wow. changed its name. It's now Sage 50. Okay. So it's still around. It has a new name. Uh, but I've used that before when it was Peachtree and it was great. Uh, I ended up switching to QuickBooks because of an employer. Uh, I have not been back to say, now Sage 50. Uh, but I will say I, I love Sage Intact. And if they work similarly, then hmm. it's a good product. I'm looking at it right now. I put I put it in here. I'm going to go look at it when we finish with the uh, show for sure. So you, you piqued my interest um, just because apparently they had an update. All right. So when we're looking at, uh, aside from maybe having less hours for an accountant, any other predictions that you think could happen in 2030 for the accounting bookkeeping industry? I think a lot more people will go remote. And I think that is not only a push on the cost of rent, but I think that is in comparison to job applicants. You look at positions that have 100% remote listed on them, they have a couple hundred applications. You look at a position that says this is in-house five days a week, and you're going to see 15 people applied. And so I, I think that remoteness is going to be demanded from the accounting profession. And, and that's how that change is going to occur. Hmm. Yeah, I would agree with you on that one. Okay, so robots, augmented reality, virtual reality. Do you see any of that uh, interacting? Because you work with, I'm sure, a lot of different industries, whether it's a cloud-based product or if it's over there, it's a brick and mortar building. You know, what is it that you think um, how technology will be working with these different 
industries as well as different sizes of businesses. So, and you're right, I, I do work across a plethora of industries. I just recently signed a project for a charter company and a charter maintenance company. Um, I, in terms of reality, augmented reality, people placing on a headset and being in a meeting room with others, I don't think it's going to go there. Mm -hmm. We do see a preview of the technology being shared across the internet. I think one of the companies are Meta who's trying to say you will be able to have virtual meetings and sit at a virtual desk with your team. The reason I don't think it's going to go there is because it's simply not necessary. It's not uh, comparing Zoom to being in person. When three people speak at one time, you're able to differentiate who is speaking and what is being said. When you're at your computer and three people are speaking at the same time, it's coming out of the same speaker. That augmented reality is going to be the same experience as Zoom. It's coming out of the same headphones. You're not going to differentiate between who of the three people are speaking and what you're actually going to pick up. So I don't see us going that far. Mm -hmm. I think it's a matter of if people feel like that they can touch a person, like, you know, we're, we're, t we're having a zoom call. We can't touch each other. You know, we can see each other, we can hear each other, but there's this other sense that's not engaged. And if it becomes an option, I'm going to associate that with control. I think requiring employees to be in the office is about control. Um, in terms of my clients, I am a remote person. Um, when I do a project, I will occasionally stop into a client's office to have an in-person meeting, um, but I don't regularly work in anyone's office. But when you're in someone's office and they pull you for a meeting and they want to stop you for additional conversation, yes, it's an opportunity to network, but you also have a, a job to do, especially mm -hmm. as a third party people. When you have employees in the office, you're in control. You're able to watch them, see how much work they're doing. Um, when you compare that to someone working at home, and it's just like, in my mind, if you pay them a salary, they have a job to do. Is their job done? Mm -hmm. and, and that's how I look at it when I look at hiring a full-time employee. Mm -hmm. um, you have to have something that's more along the effect of um, outcomes-based you know, measurable KPIs in the workforce where you're saying, okay, you have to get this amount of project completed on in the time frame that you have. When you hit that, there are incentives. If you can go over it, there's also potentially if you have to carry it over into more hours, that's not going to work. So, and, and that's part of the issue with employment in general is just, there's no incentives to go over. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a little description, there's a little line at the bottom of every job description that says duties as a sign. You're not paid based on duties as a sign, you're paid based on what's in the description. And so when you have someone who's in the office and you're aware that their work is complete, you can give them something else and it costs you no more. Mm -hmm. um, it's true. I, it's true. I think people are doing this, when you look at this quiet quitting, yeah. I, I think the name is ridiculous. <laughs> I do too. But quiet quitting, it's really just being able to say to your manager, listen, I'm not doing more work than what's in my job description. That's what the youth is doing now. Um, more power to them, but at the same time, that's going to hinder you. 
Yeah. And makes you, you know, go ahead. Seen as somebody that, oh, well, you know, we may not want to have them around because they may not have ambition. They may not be seen as a team player. They may not seen as be seen as somebody that wants to, you know, be pro company. There's a lot of things that can be there. You're not showing someone that you can take on the work. You're not showing anyone that you're willing to assist with additional work. I mean, I sit in a plethora of meetings with clients and they might say, well, this person needs to get this together. They need to handle that. If that person expresses that they're not really aware of how to do it, and I'm aware of how to do it, I will jump in and volunteer and say, yes, I can take that on. So whether I'm in this client relationship or whether I'm an employee, I'm there taking part. And that's what employers want to see. So the quiet quitting is going to backfire. But I, I think to help employees is just treating them with a, a bit more respect and recognizing that, you know, they signed on for this job and this is what they're used to do. I mean, I had an employer when I was very young. Um, I left an, an accountant position. I stepped down to a clerk position um, because I wanted to go back to school. And mm-hmm. two months after they hired me as a clerk, they promoted the cash management professional And then they gave all of her cash management work to me. Mm -hmm. They did not pay me more for the cash management work. My manager understood that I stepped down from a job to do less work, to go back to school. That didn't matter. And so when I talked about a pay increase, the conversation was, well, you have to show us that you can do the work for one year. My counter was, well, you only give raises at someone's anniversary. This would be two months after my anniversary. So I would not be able to see a raise, a potential raise, which is how it was described, for one year and 10 months of doing all of this extra work and staying late. Mm -hmm. That was a moment where that employer was taking advantage of and mistreating an employee, Mm -hmm. despite how many people don't want to say out loud that employers mistreat employees. Yeah, there is an employee experience and they are a part of like indirectly your marketing because they'll be in a grocery store line and they'll say, hey, you know what, where, where do you work? Oh, I work over here. I'm looking for another job, you know, and those casual comments, you know, are heard by people in the line. So yeah, it's, it definitely, they may not have a review on the company, but those We'll call them quiet comments now. (laughs) Quiet comments. Yeah. (laughs) That goes along with the quiet quitting. (laughs) Hmm, So funny. All right. So it's so hard to believe we're we're really at the end of the show on that. So what is the best mentoring advice that you would like to share with our listeners? The best mentoring advice. Yes. For their employees. Well, it can be mentoring advice that you want to pass on to just anybody, whether okay. it's in, you know, as a potential customer or running a business or just being a human or <laughs> something that you would like to, um, that you receive to best mentoring advice. What is it that you would want to share? The best mentoring advice that I could give someone is hire people who are smarter than you to tell you what to do. I am not a marketing professional. I am an accountant. 
I understand how to do bookkeeping. I understand how to do accounting. I can review my a financial report and I can give you appropriate responses. But I reach out to marketing professionals on the best way to perform marketing. Mm -hmm. I have a lawyer to review my contracts because I am not a lawyer. Right. I am not afraid to hire someone smarter than me to tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. And when I get a point where I have to hire managers to manage my employees, I am not concerned about whether they are smarter than me. I want them to be. Yeah. They should be helping me build something and I want confidence in them. Mm -hmm. That's good. Confidence. That's key. So how can people reach you? What's your website? We always provide our viewers and listeners your, um, the guest LinkedIn profile, but is there anything else you'd like us to share? Uh, the website, it's lighthouse, B as in boy, K, K, G.com. You can also just give me a call. It's 215-789-3987. Got it. Is that your cell or a business number? I'm going to hope it's your business number. It's the business number. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Don't want to be throwing that cell number out there uh, <laughs> really nilly. Well, Mark, I want to tell you, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. This has been great. You've had real life uh, case studies and scenarios shared. So our listeners could be certainly um, relating to it. And I, you hit that mark of also um, whether you're a student, you're just starting out, or you're already a, a professional that is different, whatever size company you are, mm -hmm. you, you hit a mark, you, you touched everybody there. Well, thank you for having me. It was a great opportunity to get out here and communicate. Oh, thank you so much. Well, um, in the meantime, stay he healthy, stay safe, and you know, continue to thrive and grow. Thank you. So we want to thank our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and thank you to our production team, Josue Gonzalez, Gio Vargas, Dina Burks, and Lester Eccles. Our music is by Sophie Lloyd, and we would like to have your inclusion tip of the week shared on our show. So be sure to record it, send it, send your audio file to info at e4c.tech, and include your name, job role, and where you work. We will email our intern pursuit game green screens for your next video conference call. Be sure to visit Employers for Change at www.e4c to learn how you can create real diversity and an inclusive culture while scaling your people for work. And thank you for supporting the Intern Whisperer podcast by subscribing to our show on Podbean or your favorite podcast channel. <laughs>